you would bow with me in prayer as we begin to open God's Word together. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is uh, eternal and life-giving. And we pray this morning that as we open your Word and consider what it tells us about who you are and who we are and the way uh, that you have redeemed us and saved us in Jesus, I pray that we would see that afresh this morning in a new light and that it would shape the way that we worship and the way that we live and the way that we care for one another and that we would just truly be focused uh, on you being the center of all things. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, There was a movie when I was uh, in college that me and like all my buddies really liked a lot. And it was kind of a a crime movie and there were these these different guys that were all the bad guys and the suspects in the movie. And, And I remember watching this film and I really liked it a lot. It was kind of a who did it, and you weren't really sure what was going on a lot of times. But a big part of the movie is one of the guys that was one of the suspects was being interrogated by the police. And so throughout the movie, he's kind of narrating what's going on, and you're hearing about him, and he's telling you different things. And all of a sudden, you get to the very end of the movie, and the police have been interrogating him, and they let him go, and he walks out the door. And then like two minutes later, the policeman standing in his office starts to look around, and he realizes that the guy that he's been interrogating is the guy he was looking for. And he's been telling the story and been telling about him and all this stuff. And he's been telling everybody what he did and what he was like and all these things. And you realize that it was him. And so it's one of those movies where you go back and you watch it again and you try to figure out all the little parts that he was saying and those kind of things. Kind of the twist ending at the end. But I always liked that movie a whole lot because it was you got to the end and the narrator, the guy that was talking the whole time is who everybody was looking for. He was right there at the center of all of it. And I was thinking about that movie this week and just thinking about that idea is we're going to think on the next few weeks of how all of Scripture points to, uh, shows us, connects to that Jesus is the heart of all of it. And we're going to do that for the next four weeks, what we call Advent, the the leading up to Christmas, the time when we celebrate uh, Jesus's coming and his first coming, his first Advent uh, at Christmas. And so we're going to try to spend a little bit of time these next four weeks really looking at all these promises and all these things that come together in Scripture and point us directly to Jesus. It shows us that he is at the very center of it, just like in that movie where the guy, all of a sudden the lights come on, you go, ah, it's that guy, he's right in the middle. It's the way it is in Scripture. Jesus is right there throughout all of it. And it's always all about him and what he's going to do in the Old Testament and what he has done now as we, as we live in the church age. And so as we think about this, as we think about this the next few weeks in different ways, I want this verse to kind of stand over what we're going to talk about at the very beginning. And so Ephesians chapter 1 that I read for you just a minute ago, listen carefully to what Paul says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then listen carefully to what he says. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so listen to what Paul says. Even as he, he talking about God, the father chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so before God spoke anything into creation when we read in genesis 1 and there was nothing and god spoke and said let there be light and there was light and he created everything before he did any of that he knew he was going to choose us in jesus before the foundations of the world and so that means before god created everything he knew he's going to make us in his image and that we would rebel against him that we would decide uh, to follow our own selfish motives rather than making god the center 
of our life as we were created to be and that we would need a savior to bring us back into relationship with God. And yet he did it and he created us knowing that that would be the case that it would take Jesus to redeem us. And so listen carefully to that thought when you think about it. That means before anything was created, Jesus was the very center of all creation before God made anything. Jesus is the center of it all. And so I want us to be thinking about that the next few weeks and really thinking about before uh, all that God has revealed and he has shown us and he has told us that all of center, all of history centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to dig deeper in that as we get ready to celebrate Christmas and what it means that we celebrate Christmas and what that looks like. I want us to have uh, our time as we move through Advent, as we come up to Christmas, as we celebrate that together, that the centrality of Jesus Christ is in all that we do and say and that we are. And so we want it to be that as we celebrate this wonderful and beautiful time of year. And so the way I want us to think about it a little bit uh, starting this morning is just when we read through the Bible and we read, there's lots of covenants and promises and things that God reveals There's prophets he uses to speak. There's prophecies that he gives. All of these things that God's doing all throughout Scripture as we look are all pointing us to the fullness that will come in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at all these different things, what we see is a fulfillment in the New Testament of all that God was doing and all that he was and all that he's pointing us to coming to a head in Jesus. There's a a sermon jam, if you know what this is. Some of you are going to look at me and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. People today are now taking uh, online, they'll take uh, a little bit of a sermon or a piece, maybe two or three or or five minutes, a particularly powerful part, and they'll put it in uh, with graphics or music or or video or different things just to help illustrate the point better, putting images with it. And there's one, uh, I've I've watched several different ones. Sometimes they can be really neat the way they put it together and seeing the words as you're hearing the person speak. But one of the ones that I really like is one of my favorite uh, uh, preachers is, is Dr. Timothy Keller in New York City. And he talks about what is the Bible really about. And I think I shared this in prayer breakfast uh, several months back. And I know I've shared it with a few different people. But what Dr. Keller says is, is what is the Bible really about? He says, is it really about you or is it really about Jesus? And he starts to go through and talking about all the things in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And as this clip kind of comes to its, its head at the end, he gets to the end where he just starts going and he's listening. He's going, Jesus is the true and better Adam. He is the true and better high priest. He is the true and better temple. He is the true and better sacrifice. He is the true and better king. And he just goes through all of this list pointing us to how all of those things find their culmination in Jesus. And so what I want us to think about the next couple of weeks is just several different of those. We're going to look at that, that idea that Jesus is the true and better. And this morning we're going to start with Jesus is the true and better promise. And that comes from what we uh, are going to look at this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That Paul tells us that Jesus, that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And so we're going to read that together and then work our way through kind of looking at that idea that the true and final fulfillment of all these things that God is doing come together in Jesus. And so as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just by way of a little bit of introduction here, it's a letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. If you know anything about First and Second Corinthians, they're part of a series of letters that Paul is writing back and forth with this church that has all kinds of mess in it. And he's writing for them to come to repentance and to to get straight and to follow God and to do all the things that they were taught. 
And so uh, it's this relationship that Paul's very pleading with them and drawing them and wanting to see them come to a fuller understanding. And as we jump in here in chapter one of first or second Corinthians, chapter one, it's on page six hundred and twenty six. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, you hear Paul talking about I wanted to come to you and I haven't yet. And he's given some of his reasons. And so he's he's wanted to come and visit them again, this church that he helped plant. He desperately wants to see them be faithful. And so that's kind of the, the occasion of the writing of this letter. So look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we've proclaimed among you, Sylvanius, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Now that we not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. And so we're going to look at those verses together this morning, and I want us to have this over it as we think about it. We want us to consider how all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus, as Paul says right there in the middle of that passage we just read. And the way I want us to think about it is first is just to ask, how do we miss that that's the case at different times? Right? Sometimes to see it, we've got to see how we miss it first. And so how do we miss it? Secondly, how do we see it or begin to see it fully? And then lastly, why is this so important? Right? So how do we miss it? How do we see it? Why is it so important as we consider that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus? And so as we look at this passage, if you look at verse 17, Paul says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh? Do I say yes? And then immediately turn around and say no. Right. So he had told them, I'm going to come to you. I want to see you again, but he hasn't come yet. And so he's saying to them, am I saying to you, I want to come, but I don't really want to come. Or am I just saying I'm going to come when I have no intention of coming? And he says, no, that's not the case at all. He tells us later down in verse 23, uh, it was to spare you that I refrain coming again to Corinth. Right? He didn't want it to be this huge confrontation. And so he didn't come at that time. And so what he's telling us, what you see in verse 17, and then what he starts to make, look at verse 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been Yes and no. Paul's saying, I wasn't saying to you, I'm going to come and I changed my mind and I'm not going to come. He said, I had every intention of coming, but then I felt like God was leading me not to come at this time. And I am for you. That's really what Paul's saying. I didn't come right now because I thought this was what was best, what God was leading me to do. And so I am for you. I am for the church in Corinth. That's, that's essentially what he's saying. And then he quickly follows that up in verse 19. For the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you. Sylvanius, Timothy, and I was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God 
for his glory. And so quickly he says, I'm for you just as God is for you. All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And he's showing them, I am for you fully just as God is for you fully in his son, Jesus Christ. And he makes that connection there. And what they're seeing, the problem they're having in Corinth is they're missing what Paul's doing by not coming. They're not seeing it fully. They're missing what his motives are. And he's telling them, I am for you. I am absolutely for you. I would make the connection to say that we miss that God is fully for us if we don't see that all of his promises find their yes in Jesus. That it all comes together in Jesus. And if we miss that, we're not going to see all of what God's doing. It's like we get off on different parts and we miss the big picture of what God is doing in Jesus. Years ago, actually was adding it up, 17 years ago, makes me feel really old. I went to a concert and at the time, this concert, they had the largest video screen in the world. And it was sitting behind the stage in a stadium. And when you walked up to it, I went into the stadium, this giant, giant screen. It was 100 feet by 50-something feet screen. And the pixels were this big. They were like, uh, uh, what do you call it, light bulbs, just giant pixels. That's what they were. That's what the screen was. And so when it started to come on and make these images and these things going on, if you were up close, all you saw were colors, just big dots of colors everywhere. You had to get almost 100 yards away at the back of the stadium to see the images that were being shown on it because they were so big, the pixels. Now, today that's absurd, and we have screens that you can see perfectly from right up. But at the time, that's the way it looked. And so oftentimes what happens is we get caught into a little bit of an area of who God is or what he's doing, and we just see this color, this piece. We're not seeing the whole of what it's doing. And if we don't get back and see the big picture of what God's doing and how all these things come together in Jesus, we miss the big picture. We may be just focused in on one little area or one little part and we can't make out the vastness of what God's doing in front of us. And so Paul says all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And we have to see it that way. If we don't, we miss what God's doing. It's a lot of examples in Scripture we could look at to see how we're missing it in different places. But I want us to think for just a second with the promise that God gives to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So we call the Abrahamic covenant. It's one of the first earliest promises. It's, it starts at the beginning in Scripture and we see it fold out all the way throughout Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 12, God says this to Abraham. He says, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and and in him who honors, who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so this is the very beginning of the nation of Israel. Abraham is the one that kind of God starts this promise with. He's telling him, I'm going to do this great thing. I'm going to give you a great number of descendants. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you into a great nation. He's going to do all these things that we see God fulfilling throughout the Old Testament in Israel. And he's doing all of that. And he gets to the end and he says, I'm going to do all that. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He makes that end part of what's going to happen in this promise. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. And people are excited and they see him as the Messiah, rightfully so. But they miss the big picture of how God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And they want to plug Jesus into smaller areas of what God's doing. And so what you see when Jesus walks on the earth and he comes 
on the scene as they all see him. People starting to realize he's the Messiah. And they go, we're going to take Jesus and we're going to overthrow governments and we're going to install him as the king. And then we're going to be the nation that's going to bless the world. We're going to be over all the world. It makes sense in their understanding and what they saw in Scripture. That makes sense. They're ready to make Jesus the king that he can rule. And they look back at Abraham's promise. I'm going to make you a great nation and people. I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to do this. And they go, oh, yes, this is it. And then Jesus says, no, I came to die. Everybody goes, what? Right? You remember Peter when he tells them, that'll never happen, Lord. And to which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand what's going You don't understand the fullness of what I came to do. I didn't come just to make you a little nation in the middle of the Middle East and we're going to bless the world this way. When God talks about I'm going to bless the world through you, in you, Abraham, he's pointing ahead to Jesus. To what Jesus would do in reconciling us to God. God's plans are so much bigger than what everyone was looking at. And they wanted to make it all about the nation and all about these people and all about that. And God's going, I'm, I'm working on such a bigger scale. You need to move back to be able to see the picture of what I'm doing. And so Paul tells us real clearly what was going on with all those promises in Galatians. Right? Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 3, I believe. Jesus, you are all... Uh, Jesus, in, excuse me, it's Galatians 5. But for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then listen to what Paul says. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God made this promise to Abraham saying, I'm going to bless the world in you. I'm going to bless the whole world. He's talking about what Jesus would come and do. Paul starts that section by saying, in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. And there's no longer Jew or Gentile. None of those things were all the same in Christ. We are now sons of God through what Jesus has done. So do you understand what's going on there? When we make it all about these other things. No, no, no. It's about this nation or this place or this. And God's going, no, no, no. I'm doing something so much greater. And it's going to come to a head in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes we get caught up on one aspect and we miss the big picture of what God's doing. We do that in our own life all the time. We'll take Jesus and we'll say, yes, I want to be a Christian. I'm going to follow Christ and then he'll fix my marriage. And I think being faithful to Christ and following what Scripture tells us will help you to have a better marriage. But if you see Jesus as something that I add to my life so that he'll fix my marriage, you're looking at one little part of the piece of what God's doing. If you say, I'm going to take Jesus and then he'll fix this area over here and that'll make everything good, then you're not, you're not seeing the fullness of what God's doing. You're using just a little part of what God has shown us and what he's told us. We're using him for a means of something else. And he has much greater plans in us. And so we miss the way that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises by by focusing in on too small of an area. By not seeing the fullness of what God's doing. And so that leads me to the second question. How do we begin to see it? How do we begin to see that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus? How do we see the big picture of what he's doing? And I think part of the, the way we begin to see it, the way we begin to grasp what God's doing is we see that it's all Jesus, that he is the fulfillment. 
Just as Paul says in Galatians 5, in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. It's what Christ has done for us. We are separated from God because of our sin. We need Jesus to come down and live the life that we couldn't live to restore us to right relationship with God. It's all what Jesus does. But the question I want you to think about is I really want you to take it one step further than just that. You may say, well, wait a second. How is it, How do we go further than Jesus is the answer to our relationship with God? Yes, that's absolutely true. But I want you to think of it this way. A lot of times we talk about what Jesus does for us. Rightfully so. He saves us from our sins. He gives us his righteousness by faith and what he's done for us. Yes. What do we get? Oftentimes we say, well, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We go eternal life. I put my faith in Jesus and I get eternal life. Say yes. Amen. Absolutely true. Yes. Affirm that. But oftentimes I think what happens is we stop there and we have this idealized thing in our mind of what heaven is. I've actually had this conversation with several people. Paint the picture for them. Would you be okay if you go to heaven and all your aunts and uncles and spouses and different people are all there and things are great and it's wonderful? And they go, yes, yes, that sounds great. That sounds great. And I say, and what if Jesus wasn't there? And it's like, "Uh, I'm not sure. That might still be okay. I've actually had people tell me that. Well, it'd still be pretty good. All my friends and everybody would be there and all those things. But what I'm driving out and what I want us to get out when we start to think about how all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Yes, Jesus saves us from our sins, gives us our righteousness. But how we see that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus is that we see that the promise we get is Jesus. We don't just use Jesus to get away up into the clouds into something that we have in our mind that we can everything will be good. We get to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the promise. That's the thing we need more than anything else. And when we start to make Jesus something that we use to get something else, we're missing the promises of God and how they find their yes in Jesus. He's the thing that we get. We only ever find all of it in him. If we're okay that we could go to this place and be there and be with relatives and all those things and not have Jesus, we're missing what God is after. Everything you desire and want and need, friendship, acceptance, love, companionship, joy, peace, fulfillment, all of it will only ever be found in Jesus. You can't remove him from the equipment. You can't use him to get those things in something else. He is the fulfillment of the promise. He not only does it for us, but then we get him. And so when we think about all the promises that find their fulfillment in Jesus, we have to see that he's the ends, that we get him. How do we begin to see that fully? Well, he gives us an idea right here. Look at what he says. Verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts is a guarantee. How do we begin to see that Jesus is the ends we're looking for? God says he puts his very 
Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to illuminate your heart and show you how Jesus meets all those needs. John 16, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to guide you in all truth. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes in power in your life and shows you how Jesus meets all your needs. That he gives you this relationship with God and it's all through Christ and he meets everything in that. That he is the promise. He's not just the means to the promise. He is the promise. All of them find their yes in Jesus. Everything you're looking for is found in Christ. And when we miss that, we miss the picture of what God's doing. Jesus not only purchases the promise, but he is it. And so the question becomes, why is that so important? What does that mean for us? And I want to think of it a couple of different ways. As we come into this season, I love Christmas. I love this time of year. I love getting ready for it and all the things that come with us. But I want us to be reminded as we come into this time, we are seeing and celebrating the fullness of God's plan. Of what before the foundations of the world he had in place. And it was the way he was going to bring us into relationship with him through Jesus. That's always been the plan. At the incarnation, the first advent as Jesus comes, he purchases for us. He brings to fruition uh, the very center of all history. But what I want us to be careful about is it's not a day in December that we celebrate. If it is, we're completely missing it. Now, it's wonderful the things that we get to celebrate and enjoy together in Christmas. But I want us to understand that this is an everyday thing. This is an everyday reality that Jesus is the center of all that we need and desire and could want. It's not something we just stop on one day of the year to talk about. It's every day. The greatest gift that ever was or ever will be is found in Jesus. And if we start to move him over to the corner over here so that we can celebrate all these other things that we like, we are completely and totally missing it. And so as we come into the season, we see that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That he is the sinner. He is the gift. He is the thing that's right there. That God is for you. That he wants your best. That's why in him he chose you before the foundations of the earth to be in this relationship with him. And it's all about him at the very center. And when you see that, you see what Paul says here. Look at verse 20 again. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. When you see that all of the promises of God find their yes in him, you can say amen or yes to God for his glory. You can then see that my whole life is about God and his glory because it all centers on the person and work of Jesus and what he's done. And the reason Paul says that, look at what he says in verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Why do we desperately want you to see that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus, that he's it? So that you say amen and yes to God for his glory, and then you have a fullness of joy that you can't get in anything else. 
starting to realize that being a pastor and getting to preach each week, my job is to try to beg you to have the fullness of joy that God wants for you. That's what I get to do. It's all Jesus. The only way it's going to be a fullness is in him. The only way is when we say yes for God's glory, amen for his glory. And it's found in Jesus and all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so why it's so important, it's absolutely so important for your joy. For your uh, rest and your peace. As you go each day, seeing that it all comes together in Jesus. But there's one last thing, and I want to end with this. Not only that, but when we celebrate and we think about these things and we see that it all comes together on Jesus, it points us forward to the fullness of what we're going to have and we're going to be and we're going to, we will be in eternity. That Jesus is going to be the center. I was thinking about this. Uh, my brother was here last week that preached and he was working on a sermon for this week that he's preaching in Houston and he was in Revelation 7 and we're talking about all these things. He's like, it's exactly like Revelation 7. I'm like, oh, how God does that, right? He's working on this. and we're gonna... Listen to what Paul, or I'm sorry, John, the Apostle John says in Revelation 7. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb, right? The lamb is Jesus. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You hear the picture that's there? What it's going to look like in glory. Too many people to number from every nation, tribe, and language clothed in white because they've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And we're going to worship. And He's going to be right there at the center of all of it. A fullness of joy that can't be found in anything else. All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we're not just talking about Jesus, the little baby in the manger and the things that we make. We're talking about all the promises of God coming to fulfillment for our good, his glory and our joy. What a blessing that we get to celebrate. And so let's let that be over the next few weeks as we journey through this, looking to what God's done and what he's done for us, that that would be the center of of all of it, Jesus and his glory and what he's done for us. And so let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the many promises that you give us. We thank you for the ways that you have pursued us, that you have sought a people to redeem for your glory, that we can say yes and amen to your glory because of what you've done in Christ. And we thank you for that. I pray that that would stand over everything we do and say and are, not just this time of year, but each and every day, that that would be our identity, that we are beloved sons of the King because of what you've done for us in Jesus, and that that would color and show every move, everything we say, everything we do, and it would be for your honor and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.